Hey everyone, Ken Moody here from Dynasty League Football. Just letting you know that this podcast is sponsored by League Tycoon. If you play in a contract Dynasty League, or have ever thought about joining a contract league, but you are worried that it would be too much work, then you will want to check out League Tycoon. League Tycoon has perfected a platform for fantasy football salary cap and contract leagues. Leagues are super easy to set up, and they offer a ton of configuration and management options. League Tycoon's mobile app makes managing your team easy. In fact, their mobile app may be the best fantasy league mobile app in the industry. It's feature-rich, easy to navigate, and doesn't have a lot of distracting features to take away from the pure fantasy football experience. So go to LeagueTycoon.com to get more information and download the app. And if you use the promo code DLF when creating a league, your first year is absolutely free. League Tycoon makes Dynasty Contract Leagues easy and fun, and it will change the way you play fantasy football. That's LeagueTycoon.com. Go check them out. Welcome to the DLF Dynasty Podcast with your hosts, Dan Myler, Ryan McDowell, and Matt Price. Yeah, we are the DLF Dynasty Podcast, Dan, Matt, and Ryan, and we are coming at you with episode 566 of the show. Lots to do on this one. We're doing that super flex mock that we talked about last week. The draft is in the books, so we're talking about the best and the worst landing spots. We got to cover draft capital and the guys that are moving up and down our rankings. But first, Matt, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? Yeah, it's been a couple of days, huh, Dan? Uh, man, just uh, recovering from all the fun we had this past weekend. Uh, obviously, the three of us and a couple other of our buddies uh, out there in Denver for the draft. Uh, so many games, so much fun with the draft itself. Uh, just just a great weekend, but I'm happy to be home and, and recovering from all of that fun. Yeah, we were talking about a little bit of recovery. We're all maybe maybe a day or two too old to be treating our bodies the way we did there for a few days. But uh, we had a good time. We uh, were kind of kind of weird, Ryan. We uh, the the draft is in Kansas City, so we go to Denver. What the heck? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I I took care of my body. I'm feeling great. I'm ready to talk about these rookies. Uh, it, it was it was a fun weekend for sure. Um, fun uh yeah i mean the nfl draft is always great and hanging out with your buddies is always good too so yeah it was an awesome weekend yeah we had we had a lot of fun uh denver treated us good uh the draft did as well overall guys and we talked about it a little bit but we should mention it here on the pod it feels like overall we did pretty good as far as landing spots yeah. go the draft capital for most of the guys that we talked about and that we're excited about pretty good these landing spots aren't too bad and we even got a little bit of veteran news throughout the draft uh of course in the days leading up to the draft we saw Aaron Rodgers that trade finally is official he's a jet and then the DeAndre Swift trade during the trade he or during the draft he goes to Philly for like a bag of potato chips Matt uh just just another Georgia Bulldog that's going to be wearing Eagles green yeah, I, I mean, I knew he wouldn't be wouldn't go for much, but seventh round pick, I believe, was was, was the swap, right? Uh, so it just it doesn't it doesn't feel like his value should be that low in the NFL. And I'm sure and it's certainly not in dynasty. I think we 
I don't know. I don't know if this is an upgrade from a dynasty standpoint because you get the running quarterback, you you get the lack of targets to the pass uh, through the passing game for a guy who whose strength really is his work in the receiving game. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how they use him along with Rashad Penny for you know as long as both of those guys stay healthy, they both have have injury concerns, right? So. Um, maybe we need to pick up Boston Scott and maybe not think that Kenny Gainwell or he is is dead at this point uh, if, if injuries do strike like they have with these two running backs in the past. Yeah, there's. I think there's another draft pick going going Detroit's way, uh, future draft pick as well. But you're right, he, he went for a song. It was almost nothing. And of course, the writing was on the wall a day earlier when the, when the Lions invested such a high draft pick uh, on a running back. Swift Ryan just fell out of favor in Detroit. He he wasn't a preferred option. It was clear over the last couple of years. I maybe you can't call it a win for DeAndre Swift's value, but you can certainly feel like he's in a better spot than he was uh, just a few days ago. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at this point, after what we saw last season, what we didn't see in many cases, it was obvious that Swift needed a fresh start. And um, I mean, like you said, that was if there was any doubt that was made clear on Thursday night with with that Gibbs pick. So I, I do think this is a good thing for Swift for his dynasty value. But there's not a clear path here. There's still a lot of questions. I mean, over the past uh really past few months as we've heard the Eagles as a projected and possible landing spot for B. John Robinson, the the narrative has been that the Eagles actually don't want to use a, a running back by committee. They actually want to have that one lead back. Uh, and Miles Sanders just wasn't good enough for that. We've, we've heard that story. And I don't know if I really believe that. And and now I definitely don't believe that. I mean, they've added Penny as Matt talked about and now Swift. And I have no idea what to make of that Eagles backfield. I, I want pieces of it, uh, but Penny's value has gone up. I think Swift's value is going to bounce back following this trade. I'm, I'm with Matt. I might, I might be targeting Kenny Gainwell and, and just see how it plays out. That seems like a good strategy at this point. I don't think the Swift value is going to go skyrocketing or no. anything. He's still going to be somewhat a value, but uh, he did recover a little bit of that that dynasty value that he he has lost over the last year or so. I doubt he ever gets back to his peak when he was uh, here a couple seasons ago when we were talking about him as a fringe first rounder. Speaking of the Eagles, you know we don't talk about defense very often on the podcast, but. That draft that they had, once again, just letting good players fall into their laps when they get two of the premier defensive linemen in this draft, in Jalen Carter at number nine overall, Nolan Smith at number 30. None of us should be surprised that uh, that the Eagles get DeAndre Swift, uh, an upgrade for sure in their backfield from an NFL standpoint for a pick swap and a 2025 fourth-round pick. Uh, when you got to wait a couple of years for the draft pick, you're not you're not all that valuable. There's some more news to cover, but we better hit this button first. The startup. Yeah, I think uh, we all were excited. We were all relieved when the news broke prior to the just hours before the draft, even that Lamar Jackson had signed his contract with the Baltimore Ravens. Fences are mended. Five year pact between the quarterback. And the franchise, and now Lamar, Matt, he has the best group of pass catchers he's ever had in his career with Mark Andrews, 
Odell Beckham Jr., Rashad Bateman, and the brand new fresh shiny toy that he gets, uh, Zay Flowers, first round pick, 22nd overall. Um, we all saw that Lamar Jackson quote unquote hype video where he's, he was just sitting in the driver's seat of his car, just just kind of chatting, uh, didn't seem super pumped, kind of somber. But Lamar is back in town, and he looks like uh, he, he could have the weapons that we finally want for him. Yeah, we just need uh, need Todd Munkin to come in and, and rejuvenate this passing game along with these new weapons, right? Last season, Baltimore ran the ball the third most times at just under 50% per game. Uh, 49.82% were run plays. Uh, I'm sorry, were pass plays last season. Uh, and 52.88% were, were run plays. Uh, so Munkin, Munkin's uh, lowest pass, pass play percentage was 56%, I believe, uh, as an offensive coordinator. So we're going to see that uh, hopefully shift and get these receivers involved. Uh, you mentioned they add, we added the rookie to that group. This is going to be interesting to figure out for Dynasty because I think I think we all still like Bateman, and, and he's really kind of like the the enigma of this group. We just we just really don't know what we have in him. He's flash plays, but he's uh, he's dealt with injuries his entire uh, career here in Baltimore, and I already mentioned the, the heavy run game. So we just really don't know what we have in him. I would assume it's Flowers and Bateman, uh, but. I don't really have a have a, a handle on how it's going to shake out target wise between these guys. I think we know Andrews is probably going to lead in targets again, uh, and then we'll have to see how it shakes out between these two young guys. And we haven't even talked about Beckham really and how he fits in. I like where your mind's at with that. The the Munkin offense, of course, we all know he comes from Georgia. That was his last stop here over the last uh, couple of seasons, and they averaged forty point seven points on their way to winning their second straight <laughs> national championship. That's that should get dynasty managers pretty excited about the ups, upside. If you watch Georgia's offense, they they really dialed it up all over the field. They were willing to use the deep part of the field just as much as the short part. And that came from the offense. It's really, you know, when you think of that Georgia offense, you think of them taking shots down the field, using that running game to set up the passing game. And we all hope that that bleeds into what he wants to do in Baltimore now with Lamar, Ryan, I know you're just as excited as me and Matt are that, that he's back in Baltimore in a familiar situation with such good uh, options, including Bateman. And even you could even mention Devin Duvernay as guys who have underperformed, but maybe with the, the rest of the supporting calf, all these guys as a whole may not create a wide receiver one for us in Dynasty or anything like that outside of Mark Andrews but it should help rejuvenate Lamar back to that MVP status that he was a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I mean, we've, we've seen a value dip for Lamar uh, really throughout this, this uh, issue and then this contract discussion. And I mean, I, I hope you were able to take advantage of that because that, that is not going to happen any longer. Uh, we've talked uh, over the past couple of episodes about Jalen Hurts and how the the Eagles really uh, boosted him up by adding weapons to uh, to that offense, and um, I, I, you know there's there's no AJ Brown on this team not yet I don't think, but um, to bring in Beckham to bring in uh, Flowers, obviously it, 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 along with the uh, the new offensive coordinator in Munkin. I mean, it's it's like all systems go here. I, th- I think there's a very good chance we see a different type of uh, a different type of Lamar Jackson, and uh, you know, maybe maybe more successful than ever, more productive than ever. 
I, you know, the the more I watched Georgia throughout the end of last season, the more I thought that 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 offense should be a bigger part of the NFL. And and really, we've we've consistently seen teams steal from what what's going on in big time college football. And Munkin is really the guy that that's going to bring that to Baltimore, change that offense. He likes to uh, dictate the speed of the game. They used no huddle offenses uh, relatively or, or quite a bit there at Georgia. And that would be a nice little wrinkle. Baltimore is known as one of the slowest offenses in the NFL. If they were to speed things up just a little bit more, get Lamar more opportunities with the ball in his hands, that would be a good thing for dynasty players. So the no huddle will help. I also like what he does with the running game. It's uh, he uses his quarterback and the mobility of a quarterback to put stress on defenses. He, they've shown that with guys like Stetson Bennett rolling out of the pocket. Imagine what he can do with a guy with the athleticism of Lamar. Mm. So I don't think we need to worry about Lamar losing any of that, that ground game support to his fantasy numbers. I think we should expect him to pick up uh, the pace in scoring from the pocket and with his arm, though, I think it's uh, it's safe to say that, especially with these weapons. I don't know. I know a lot of people are, are oh, yeah, old Odell Beckham. He's been around. We this, this has happened before. But the last time we seen him, he looked pretty darn good in Los Angeles. I'm pretty excited about his upside there. Zay Flowers, guys, he's one of the guys that we're going to be picking in the first half of the first round in, in rookie drafts throughout the season. So, when it comes to the landing spot, Ryan, for Zay Flowers, it feels like it, it it's almost a premium landing spot now that Lamar's there. Yeah, I really think so. And and I would say not only now that Lamar's there, but now that Todd Munkin is there. Um, because for yeah. years, I mean, they, they invested a first-round pick in Rashad Bateman, and we weren't really sure how to feel about that. And honestly, we're still not. We still don't really know, as you said earlier, what, what Bateman is. He's battled some injury issues. And... Um, that honestly, that's even more reason to be excited about Zay Flowers. I don't think we need to look at Baltimore as a negative landing spot for uh, for wide receivers anymore. And with the uncertainty, um, <clears throat> the uncertainty around Bateman, the the questions about Beckham, and and is he going to be going to be able to bounce back? I mean, we could be looking at Zay Flowers as the top wide receiver in that offense almost immediately. And I've seen it out there. I've seen it out there of people still saying that they don't like that spot for him because of the volume. And I think we need to stop looking backwards and look forward with, with this Munkin news. Unless good point. I mean, does, do, do we really think that Munkin is just going to do the same thing as in the past? I, I really just don't see that. Like why bring in a guy who's known for his passing work? If, if we're just going to say that they're going to go back and run the ball uh, more than 50 times, more than 50% of the time. And when you think of the success that Lamar has had in the past through the passing game, a lot of that's going to Mark Andrews and then those deep shots. Well, what's Zay Jones going to, or excuse me, Zay Flowers going to do? Uh, he's going to work the middle of the field with that quick passing game underneath routes and then try to get you over the top when you overcommit to that that short passing game. I, I love the landing spot. Speaking of great landing spots and, and maybe the worst landing spots too, we'll cover those. We better We better move along. Dynasty rankings. Yeah, let's cover some rookie rankings, guys, and do it through the avenue, I guess, of best and worst rookie landing spots. So, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of torn on a few guys, and maybe we can talk some of these out. I'm, uh, let, but let's go through the landing spots and how it affects their rankings from pre-draft. And we're gonna start 
Well, we'll start with the negative. Let's go to the worst landing spots, and I'm going to kick this one off. I took the I took the softball on this one. It's Zach Charbonnet, Matt, one of your guys, one of our guys really here on the podcast. We were excited about the potential draft capital. He got that in the mid to late second round, but he lands in Seattle behind Kenneth Walker III. Seattle loves to run the ball. You mentioned top five uh, teams that like to run the ball. I'm sure Seattle's on that list. They they love to turn it around, turn around, hand it to their running backs, but they can't support both of these guys being big-time fantasy assets. Yeah, this one is really, uh, really a head scratcher, obviously, for for multiple reasons. Uh, And I think on the surface, it's a a terrible landing spot, right? Like we saw Kenneth Walker play like, you know, if you if you if you look at it like a a macro level, I guess, like it seems like he had a pretty good season. But when you really like drill down into it, uh, you know, he had uh, he actually had the most the most runs go for two or less yards of any running back in the NFL under uh, 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 that had at least 100 carries last season. So uh, y- you think that he's the lead, but maybe they're not as confident in them as as we think they are, or and, and maybe that's why they took Charbonnet. So I'm trying to look at it as a as a glass half full guy. Maybe because a guy I'm a guy who likes Charbonnet more than Walker. Uh, more I was I had questions with Walker last season concerning his his pass catching ability and, and you know maybe we didn't know that he couldn't do it but we didn't see that he could do it and that really translated the NFL I know he had one game I think of six targets four or five catches something like that but on average he only had a, a couple of a catches per game and that's not necessarily what we're looking for from our from a, really a guy we have ranked as highly as Kenneth Walker I believe he's at running back five or six currently in our rankings might be higher than that Ryan correct me there if, you, if I'm wrong um, but I don't know. I just, for some reason, I kind of feel like they're not as happy with Walker as maybe we thought they were. So if that's the case, then, you know, maybe Charbonnet, maybe this is an opportunity to buy him. You know, he's probably going to go in the mid to late second round, I would believe, in super flex drafts at this point. And maybe he's a value at that point. You just bet on the talent. And I think it's easier to say that if it was another team, it would be easier to say that. You know, they drafted this guy, another guy in the second round right after they just drafted Kenneth Walker. But with the Seahawks, it's so hard to tell just because they, they draft so many running backs. And we just don't really know how they feel about these guys. And we're probably not until we get to week one of the NFL season and see how it shakes out. Yeah, it was just a year ago that Walker the third was drafted 41st overall early in the second round. And then it took him a few weeks, but he finally took over that offense or at least that backfield. And Matt's right, Ryan. It was big plays that pumped up his rookie numbers, certainly pumped up his fantasy finishes over those first handful of weeks as a starter in the NFL. Kenneth Walker, the third in dynasty circles, is seen as a as a young, impactful running back. But now it seems like this Charbonnet uh, uh, draft pick, either the Either the Seahawks decided this is just too good of a value, we have him as a first-round value, and and he's the most valuable guy on the board, or they they have these concerns and they're going to start shoving some of that workload in Charbonnet's di- direction rather than giving it all to Walker. Yeah, I mean, it's just a big bummer, right? I mean, this <laughs> this, <laughs> Huge this was our almost the consensus RB3. He was a, a solid option or looked like he would be a solid option in the middle of the first round. Um, you know, I, I think back and I think we actually mentioned this maybe on last week's show or maybe on our live uh, draft Q&A, our, our buddy Danny Kelly from The Ringer 
in one of his first mock drafts, actually projected the Seahawks to draft Bijan Robinson. And Danny is a he's a Seattle Seahawks fan. He's very plugged into that team. And when I saw that, I got a little spooked. And then we we heard really nothing since uh, since that since then about Seattle potentially taking a running back. And and then they do this. So yeah, I I mean it's tough to really make sense of this. Uh, Dan, you said it took uh, it took Walker a while to get going uh, last year as a rookie. I know Rashad Penny suffered that that injury pretty early, I think four or five weeks in. So these, those two Walker and Penny played four games together. And, um, and while, while Penny was on the field, Kenneth Walker was, was seeing six carries a game, 36 yards per game, uh, and was scoring just seven fantasy points per game. So of course that blow up, uh, in his production really came with Penny off the field. Now, maybe that's obvious that when, when the lead guy goes down, the next guy steps up, but there's, I mean, there's, that's just another reason to be concerned about this situation. Um, ultimately, I, I mean, I think it hurts both of these guys. Um, I think both of their ADPs, both of their rankings will drop as, as dynasty managers kind of look at this situation and, and really try to figure it out. But there's obviously concern that we can't count on Kenneth Walker as that, uh, top five running back that we thought he was. It's like you said, Ryan, it's a bummer. We're, we all kind of stepped back when we saw that pick announced, we were hoping for that great landing spot. And there were some good ones for sure. We'll see how this shakes out in Seattle. We'll see where Charbonnet goes in our super flex PPR tight end premium mock here later in the show as well. Matt, you, uh, that that's probably the worst landing spot of all the fantasy relevant guys. But if there's another guy worth mentioning, who would that be? Well, you know, I, I like to color outside the lines a little, Dan. So uh, I had to know. pick two because I don't think I don't think you can pick just one of these guys. Uh, it's Luke Musgrave and, and Tucker Craft. Like if, if if the Packers had drafted one of these guys and another team had gotten the other, you know, we would have actually gotten this infusion of, of tight end talent. But I just don't know how to pick between these two. You can say you go with draft capital and it's Musgrave over Craft, but. You know, both of these guys are athletic. They're uh, they're essentially both the same size, within five or ten pounds of each other. They're both six five, I believe. So, like, I just don't know how to differentiate. We're gonna have to wait and see. I think until we get to training camp and OTAs and and preseason, and even, maybe even then, we're still not gonna know which of these guys uh, are are gonna be the really productive one for fantasy. It, to me, it spells that they they want to start running more twelve personnel behind both of these guys. Maybe they're both uh, blocking a large portion of the time, and we have an AJ Dillon. Uh, kind of blow up season from the Packers. Um, but I just really don't know how to separate them. And I think they're both going to cannibalize each other. Uh, so I probably am not going to take either of them, uh, honestly, in rookie drafts at this point, because I just don't know which one it's going to be. So it's not a bad spot. It's just bad because both of them went there. Yeah, we we really thought that we had six tight ends and they'd get spread out throughout the throughout the NFL on draft day. And we we be happy taking any of them in the second, maybe even the third round. But you're right. The, the, the fact that both of them land in the same place and that they both got day two draft capital kind of muddies the water a little bit. But if you look at the two individually, I think there is a path, of course, to both getting on the field. It's hard to see two tight ends coming up with the kind of production we need to put them in our starting lineup, though. 
Uh, Musgrave has the speed and the the um, downfield prowess, I would call it, to get down the seam and make those make those plays on the ball uh, downfield. While Kraft is more of an underneath option, who's who's run after the catch ability was kind of his calling card in college. He had he averaged eight yards uh, per catch after the catch in 2022, which is a pretty big number for a tight end. So I agree with you that. Fantasy-wise, you know, from an NFL standpoint, it's great. The Packers got two uh, per, perhaps uh, start up, starting-worthy tight ends, and they desperately need it. But for fantasy, Ryan, it's hard to see these guys being in our lineups anytime soon. They're just going to cannibalize each other. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen this before with teams selecting two tight ends, and it, it – it, you know, the dream scenario always goes back to what the Patriots had with, with Gronk and, uh, and with Aaron Hernandez. And that's just not usually what we're going to get from a pair of tight ends selected in the same class. You know, it's, it's most of these situations end up being more like, uh, the 2020 Patriots when they used a, a pair of third rounders on Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, <laughs> and neither of those guys panned out. And that's, that's not to say that, this situation will mirror that, but it is hard to imagine both of these players uh, being productive and, and turning into fantasy starters. So we're, we're going to kind of have to pick and choose. And, uh, you know, I, I think most people will probably lean towards Musgrave. He was the higher rated player coming into the draft. He was the higher, higher player selected by the Packers. Uh, but, I, you know, I always get that, that 2018 Ravens team stuck in my head when they used their first yeah. rounder on Hayden Hurst and then grabbed uh, this guy named Mark Andrews on, uh, on day two or three, I believe it was, but um, yeah, it's, it's a messy situation. The Packers also uh, on top of the pair of tight ends drafted uh, what Dan three wide receivers. So um, they, they needed a pass catcher overhaul, obviously as, as you guys both know, and, and uh this is, this is going to be it, but um, yeah, I, I think ultimately I agree with Matt that this hurts the value of both guys, pushes them down where, uh, from where they were pre-draft. Yeah. I'm still willing to draft either if the value is yes. right, if they're the top guy in my rankings though, because like all tight ends, you have to hold on to them for a year, two years, sometimes even three years before you see that production spike. Uh, I imagine one of these guys will separate himself from the other. It'll just take a little bit of time. Uh, Ryan, do you got a, a negative landing spot? Somebody that you are hyped up to to see land in a spot that, that maybe isn't also good. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, this is a guy I've talked about a ton leading up to the draft and, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't want to pretend that didn't happen. So let's, let's talk about Izzy Abanacanda. This is a player that uh, I was somewhat confident would get day two draft capital. And that clearly did not happen. So that's strike one. He's a fifth rounder instead of a third rounder uh, strike two and maybe strike three at the same time is the landing spot uh, with the jets. You know, not only is, is Brees Hall there, uh, as a, as a long-term option and a long-term high-end option, but they've got some nice depth. You know, Michael Carter has been a productive player. Even uh, even Zonovan Knight was was a nice player last year as a rookie. So it's it's tough to figure how a Banacanda might mix into that group. Uh, we did hear reports. You know, there was the the Thursday night report that the Jets were actually yeah. interested in drafting Jameer Gibbs if he had fallen to them. So 
No, that makes you question Brees Hall a little bit. Uh, maybe, maybe his uh, his recovery is not going as well as expected. Um, I, I don't know. That's that's a tough situation. But regardless of uh, of how Hall is is doing right now, this is this is a tough spot for a Bandicanda to produce, or you know, honestly, even see the field. And this is a guy I w- I thought might be able to move up into the late first round with. Uh, if he got that draft capital, if he got that landing spot, he got neither one. So he goes from uh, from that mid to late second rounder, you know, certainly down into the third round, maybe even the late third round. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And you mentioned that report. I wonder what that'll do to to the dynasty value of Brees Hall. If, if people think twice about uh, locking him up that early in round one in, in startups or on the trade market, whatever that may be. Either way, it looks like Hall's going to enter the season as the clear number one running back. Um, but then again, Izzy's just an injury away from potentially uh, getting a big opportunity and showing his worth. There are a lot of things to like about his game. We'll see, uh, we'll see if he can translate that to the NFL when he won't, when he finally does get his opportunity. Let's keep things rolling with some quality landing spots, guys. Matt, uh, who's your, what's your favorite landing spot or, or what's the one you came up with here? Yeah, I went with Quinn Johnson. He's probably the biggest uh, mover from a positive standpoint in my rankings. I believe I had him at wide receiver seven before uh, the draft, and I've moved him up to wide receiver three. It's just so good there in Los Angeles. You know, th- this season, you know, I think the, the production may be a little bit depressed unless they hit a couple of deep shots uh, with him. But uh, Mike Williams is always hurt, and he's old. And Keenan Allen, he was hurt last year, not always hurt. Um, but he's also old. Both these, I think Williams is 29, Keenan Allen is 30 now. So it just seems like if Quentin Johnson does work out, if he's the player, you know, if he hits that ceiling uh, kind of threshold that we we can see for, for him if we squint, then it seems like he's in line to be the wide receiver one of the future for this Justin Herbert-led team. So I think once we get to like 108, 109, 110 in a super flex range, when you're considering the guys like Will Levis, uh, if you still have them up that high, I I don't think that I'm going to. Um, but you know, once we get to that range, you know, uh, some other, I've seen some people put Zach Charbonnet in that range, which I also think is crazy. Like he just he just thinks that it just looks like Quentin Johnson. You know, feels like he just looks better and better once you get to that uh, uh, past that top six to six to eight guys, right? So um, he's he's right there for me. I, I really like this landing spot for him, the match with Justin Herbert, and what the future holds based on the age of the receiving core around him. Yeah, I'm 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 on the on the same boat. I I was worried about Johnson. I was really concerned he could land in round two, maybe even late in round two, and that draft capital wouldn't come his way. But he got really ideal draft capital and qual- a quality landing spot. And you you pinpointed the reasons for that. I I would I've been thinking a lot about Johnston and and what he's been uh, what what his expectations should be. He's moved up my rankings as well. In fact. I watched his introductory press conference and I came away feeling pretty good about his demeanor and his feelings towards becoming an NFL receiver. Um, A lot different maybe than what I felt of him uh, in Indianapolis at the scouting combine when he was a little bit timid and maybe, maybe didn't want to share his personality. He was the complete opposite in that introductory press conference. I don't know if that was nerves back then and excitement now, but 
there, there was even a joke. He, he made a joke about doing a backflip. He was so excited. And, and their general manager, Tom Telesco, said, no, 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 no backflips. We don't need that. Uh, just joking <laughs> around. But I came away thinking this guy's jacked to be in the NFL. And he seems like he's got his head on, on his shoulders the right way and ready to make an impact at this level. I think he's worthy of the of maybe the draft position in rookie drafts, Ryan, that we originally had him at. Uh, a few months ago. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I, I mean, again, we, we've talked the past several weeks about how important draft capital is, how important landing spot is. Uh, and, and he got both, you know, both marks in uh, both checks in his corner there. So that's certainly good news for him. He'll bounce back. Um, it doesn't mean those concerns we had pre-draft automatically go away, but uh, it, it does, it, it does make me feel better that an NFL team was willing to invest that first round pick into him. Uh, and, and, you know, we had talked about, I know others in have mentioned this as well, that the chargers wide receiver coach is actually the former wide receiver coach at Pitt, uh, And that's why we saw so many Jordan Addison to, uh, to the chargers connections. So, you know, for them to pass on Addison who went a, a couple picks later and go with Johnston there instead really says a lot about how they value Johnston uh, as, as a piece of that offense moving forward. So yeah, absolutely feel, feel pretty good about him, feel confident about him in that mid first round range. Speaking of guys, we feel confident in Ryan. I chose Devin a chain as my, my guy for the best landing spot. And, you know, he didn't get necessarily get the draft capital that we get pumped about. Didn't go till late in the third round, 84th overall, but a chain landing in an offense with all that speed in Miami, that feels awfully good. It was, it was kind of interesting. Uh, there was, you know, after the draft, you always see, um, see the little blurbs and see, see the little videos of coaches and GMs calling the players. And Mike McDaniel, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, called A-Chain to, to tell him that he was, he was going to be their draft pick. And he asked him, are you still fast? <laughs> and uh, so clearly uh, McDaniel and the Dolphins want to use, use A-Chain as that speed, pass catching, uh, get to the edge, big play type tailback. And the excitement of that landing spot for him should translate easily, Ryan, to dynasty managers. Oh, man. I wish I could be at the first Dolphins practice to see yeah. Tyreek Hill, uh, A-Chain, Jalen Waddell, and Raheem Mostert line up and race down that football field. I would love to see that because <laughs> I, I know it's going to happen. We've seen Tyreek Hill challenge uh, teammates and others to races before you know that's happening in, inside uh, inside Dolphins practice. I would love to see it. Yeah, this is this is a great spot. I mean, anytime I think about this this Miami running game, of course McDaniel coming from uh, from San Francisco, and we know it's plug and play in San Francisco. Any running back that's suiting up, we want a piece of that. It's going to be the same thing here. I think about what my buddy Matt Williamson said about the Dolphins. Whatever running back they have, that's the one I want. It was true with with Mostert, who had a solid productive season when he was on the field. True with Jeff Wilson. Both of those kind of retreads from San Francisco, and and those guys are fine veteran running backs. Uh, but they've they've got some new blood now. I can't wait to see how they use uh, Devon A. Chain. 
Yeah, and he, his dynasty value, Matt, has spiked since we since that draft pick. Right, we were we were thinking, man, it, it, he's probably not sticking in that first round. Maybe not even in single quarterback leads. And now it's hard to avoid his name when you get to the middle of the first when you're considering who to pick. Yeah, this is uh, you know this is, he's back to Bay Chain. <laughs> he's back <laughs> to Bay Chain with this landing spot. He got the best. He got the best landing spot of any running back in in the class. I would argue. I mean, maybe you can say Bijan got a better one. He did. Um, but we knew that this guy was not going to. We knew that this guy was not going to. Um, you know, necessarily be a full-time back, right? But he lands in a spot with two, like, with, with the place where they just signed all of their old guys back, right? We are we are we confident that Moster is going to remain healthy? He finally did last season, but you know, historically speaking, that hasn't happened. Jeff Wilson has been good in limited stretches, but it seems when they kind of hand the ball off to him for four or five weeks in a row that his efficiency drops a little bit. Um, so this is just a great spot for a chain all around. Uh, Mostert was actually, I think, 195 when he entered the league, and obviously it took him a while to to really like do anything from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, but you know, I kind of see a similar path for for a chain here. I think he's going to get on the field quickly uh, with that speed. You know, use as a, as a as a dump off receiver on the outside, just get his get the ball in his hands in space and just let him go. Um, and if anything happens to either of those two guys in front, you know, you you have to think that that volume's going to go up. But this is not a guy that we need to see 15 to 20 carries from. If we see, you know, somewhere like seven to 10 carries and and five to six targets and out of, out of the backfield or even you know downfield if they decide to work him in as a slot receiver, I think he's going to pay off from a fantasy standpoint. The the size is still scary, but the landing spot is so good. The speed on that offense is terrifying, and we got we got the coach that we want to have a player like this. So. I'm excited about it. I think he's easily locked into the the late first round of, of Superflex drafts. The list of the small running backs, and, and I do mean small, 5'8 and a half, 188 pounds, succeeding at the NFL level is relatively short. Um, but that explosiveness that we rarely see in that 4-3-2 speed that he that he showed at the combine, he really, you know, he's got he's got like like best he's one of the better track performers in college. He's, he's been a, one of the biggest track stars in college over the last few years. And I, I don't even think he ran, uh, ran track last year, but that offense was awful in, in, in his final year. And he made it worth watching, you know, running for 1102 yards and eight touchdowns. He caught passes. He's, he's a great fit for the, ultra speed focused dolphins who who want to get as much speed on the field. They almost play NFL football. Like my 11 year old son plays Madden, just get the <laughs> fastest guy and we'll score a lot of touchdowns and outscore you. Uh, we're all excited about a chain land in, in Miami. Ryan, you got a guy that uh, you consider one of the best landing spots. Yeah, I'm really excited about the landing spot for Josh Downs, the wide receiver from North Carolina. Um, Not necessarily excited about the draft capital. This is a player that at one point was looked at as a possible late first round pick and uh, ends up going in the uh, middle part of the third round. So that was a disappointment, but I love the landing spot with the Colts. Um, I mean, Downs is a guy at his size, 5'9", 170, 171, who he's going to be a slot guy. But we've also seen him thrive with uh, with the deep ball, the deep play. He was a uh, uh, top 30 in FBS with deep catches last year. He was top 25 in FBS with 
13 contested catches despite his size. So he, he plays bigger than a size. We've talked about him uh, doing that already, uh, you know, previously when we, when we did our rookie report on him, pairing him with Anthony Richardson. I mean, this is perfect. I'm going to pull a mat here and sneak in two guys with great landing spots, both of them (laughs) with the Colts. Anthony Richardson obviously has been talked about a ton, but a couple of the numbers from his college career from last season that worked so well with downs, uh, ninth in FBS with an 11 and a half yard a dot and had exactly 1000 deep yards, which, which was 16th among quarterbacks in FBS. So these two together, uh, and, and you know, the Colts, uh, Colts leadership has essentially already told us that Richardson is their starter from, from day one, they've got the veteran Minshew, but they're ready to roll with Richardson. Uh, Michael Pittman's there as kind of that lead guy. But outside of him, I think Downs is, is the next guy in line as far as receiving targets go. We, I got the chance to talk to one of the Colts uh, beat reporters at Indianapolis during the combine. And I asked him about Alec Pierce. I can't remember if we talked about that on the show before, but uh, it, was, it was kind of a ho-hum response that they like Pierce. He'll, he'll play, but they don't necessarily see a big ceiling with him. I think they see a big ceiling with Josh Downs. It's interesting that you that you do pick downs because I think my mind immediately when that pick happened went to all right that sounds great we we get the young quarterback with all the rushing upside and we're going to pair him up with a, a slot receiver to get the ball to but the truth is maybe maybe they maybe they don't have that maybe that's a low passing volume offense and and you know if they count on the running game as much as a lot a lot of smart people really think they will that might not translate to the amount of ppr catches we need from a guy like downs i I think you painted a pretty positive picture for sure with him but I, i think there's worries or maybe reason to be trepidatious when it comes to downs and his ultimate upside at least seeing that uh seeing those returns early on what are your thoughts matt yeah, to me, to me, the reason why I don't like this, I think Mike Ryan makes a great point with the the vertical passing game uh, and how well Josh does, Josh Downs does from that from the slot with that game. I just my concern is he's a true slot, and I just don't know how often he gets on the field. We have the monster Mo Ali Cox, we have Jelani Woods out there, we have a of a quarterback who we know his 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 Achilles heel, so to speak, right now is is that short intermediate passing game, and if Downs is not does not thrive in the vertical set, then I just don't know where he gets on the field. I think Alec Pierce has proven he can play on the outside. Pierce led the Colts last season in, in targets of 20-plus air yards with 15. And on those 15, he hauled in seven for, for 243 and a touchdown. Um, so if his volume goes up uh, on the outside, if they have those two big tight ends in there and 12 personnel to accentuate the running game with Richardson and, of course, uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, that's the strength of their game is is running and the deep ball. And it, to me, unless unless we're going to be able to see Josh Downs working into two wide receiver sets, I'm not saying he's not better than Pierce. I think he absolutely is a better player than Pierce. But from what they want to do vertically with that size downfield, Pierce seems to be the guy that would match up more uh, from my perspective. But, um, you know, so that's really my concern is, is how often is he going to be on the field? He's going to be on the field enough to get that volume. And he, when, he, when he is on the field, is he going to get the deep targets? Or are they going to try to use him as a true slot on short and intermediate area throws, which we know is rich, not Richardson's strong suit at this point? 
there were so many great landing spots in the draft, and that's what we started the show off with. I, I didn't want to make it sound like these were the only good ones. There's Bijan to Atlanta. That one's elite, right? Uh, Michael Mayer landing in Las Vegas. That seems like a pretty good landing spot for him, as well as Sam Laporta in Detroit. There's a lot of people excited about what he might bring to that offense. Other good landing spots including include Rashi Rice, Kansas City, and Marvin Mims to Denver, although that's a full depth chart. That seems like a good spot for him. I really like Jonathan Mingle ending up in Carolina. He's going to get early opportunities with a great quarterback or one we expect to be very good. Another uh, another receiver is Jordan Addison. Should be a perfect complement to Justin Jefferson there in Minnesota. And then Dalton Kincaid in Buffalo. Wow, he's, you know, sure, they have a tight end, but he's not as good as Dalton Kincaid. Some of the, some of the other losers, maybe, maybe Hendon Hooker, He's going to have to wait a little longer than some uh, expected up there in Detroit. Will Levis had to wait for his name to be called. Uh, probably going to be a backup for at least a year. Not necessarily the worst thing, but certainly uh, not 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 what could have been as far as his draft capital goes. Jameer Gibbs, a lot of people think that's a great landing spot. I'm, I'm a little wishy-washy on that one uh, there in Detroit. And even, even Jackson Smith and Jigba, I would have liked to see him in a more pass-heavy offense as uh, maybe higher on the depth chart as well, but he'll he'll do well there, of course, but not the ultra great landing spot that we we might have gotten uh, had he gone somewhere else. The DLF Dynasty Podcast Mock Draft. Yeah, we promised it. We're always going to do a mock draft right after the NFL draft. So let's get right to it. We're doing it PPR. We're doing it tight end premium. And we got super flex. So let's talk about these guys as we roll along. It's pretty easy at the top. Nothing's changed. Bijan got the ultimate draft capital. He got a very good landing spot. Tyler Algier is no more. We don't have to worry about starting him anymore. Bijan Robinson's the number one pick in this draft. Yep, still an easy call. Second pick is an easy call for me as well. It's Anthony Richardson. Uh, he's the quarterback with the highest ceiling. He went to the best quarterback landing spot, in my opinion. And uh, I just, you know, if if he hits, he's going to hit so huge. There's certainly a lot of risk with this pick. He gets the 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 short and intermediate accuracy could certainly curtail his career uh, and and cut it short if he can't get on board there. But I just think if he hits, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna break fantasy football to the level that you know, uh, uh, Lamar Jackson did in like 2019. Right. So, uh, I just, I don't see any, any other pick here at one Oh two. Yeah. I'll take Bryce young at one Oh three. Uh, of course the, uh, the top pick in the draft. And I mean, there's, there's just as there's questions about Richardson, I think there's questions about all three of these top quarterbacks. Uh, but young's are all related to size. In fact, that's really the only question mark about his game. I'm excited to see him uh, on an NFL field. This this Panthers uh, Panthers team is is looking a little rough right now, so uh, I don't know if you're going to get immediate uh, starter type production from Young uh, in a super flex league. Uh, but uh, obviously excited about his his upside, and uh, I would I would take him uh, at, at two even. So happy with him here at three. Yeah, that it seems like it's going to be Bijan at one and then whoever your favorite quarterback is at two, followed by the other two. I'll take C.J. Stroud with the 1.04. Stroud gets the draft capital, um, lands with a team that's another team that needs some work, right? But they added other weapons as well. I think Stroud is the most 
um, starter ready, maybe, of these quarterbacks. I love his accuracy. I love his ability to distribute the ball with anticipation. And I think that'll translate directly to the NFL level as long as they can protect him. I like seeing him on the field early in his career and him growing that way. Uh, and, you know, to get him at number four, that feels pretty good. I would have taken him at three uh, myself. I, I have moved Anthony Richardson into the two spot, though. I, I believe you guys. It, the upside's just too large <laughs> to stay away from that. But Stroud's my three, and Bryce Young's a very close four. Really, we're we're in good shape. If you have a top four pick, you're going to feel pretty good about whoever you get there. Matt, you're up I'm at gonna, the fifth pick. I'm going to go with Jameer Gibbs here with the fifth pick, and I can see it. I can see scenarios even in Superflex League where I have Gibbs and a player that I assume will go next uh, ahead of of Young and Stroud. So I, I kind of have these four guys in their own tier uh, with the, with Young, Stroud, Gibbs, and the next guy that Ryan's going to take. Um, Gibbs, I, I just the, the draft capital is is ridiculous. We did not think we were going to get an, an, a top twelve. Uh, pick out of out of Gibbs, you know, we we thought towards the end the steam was was kind of picking up for him going in the late first, uh, and then we got some news that the Jets were maybe considering him at fifteen. So when the Lions took him at twelve, like this, just to me, I know there's concerns about his weight, uh, his, his maybe his role in the offense with with uh, David Montgomery there, but with him on that turf and that speed and that pass catching ability, again, if we're chasing ceiling in this game, and that's kind of how I like to play it. Uh, the, the ceiling for Gibbs is, you know, I don't want to say it's it's Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey level because those guys are just so good in both phases of the game. But that's the kind of player I think we're talking about from a pass catching standpoint. So if the rushing ability is also there, uh, which I think is really the biggest question with him, uh, then, you know, I think the sky's the limit for Gibbs. I think we could easily be talking about him as a top three to five running back uh, in 2024 uh, startup drafts after his rookie season. So I'll take Gibbs here at five. Whoa, Matt, I sat right next to you when he got picked. I spent the whole weekend <laughs> with you and I didn't know you were in love with Jameer Gibbs like that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's incre- my love of Gibbs has increased over the last 24 hours. Or so as I've sat down and really looked at, at this class. So it's, I guess so that mile high city got to you. I think I'm terrified <laughs> of Jameer Gibbs. It's uh, they, they have proven time and again that they don't appreciate speedy, running backs that can get the edge and make big plays in the passing game. That was DeAndre Swift. And every dynasty manager in America is sick and tired of how that coaching staff treated him. Now they're different running backs. Of course they're way different, but, but Gibbs is in that same vein. He's the same type of tailback that you need to get him the ball in space. And really we want him to get more than the five, six, seven touches that they were given Swift in the second half of 2024, or excuse if me, they take two, if, if they give a guy they took at one one twelve overall, like th- only five or six touches a game, that seems seems egregious to me. So I'm going to bet that they're not going to do that. But you you make a lot of sense. I mean, it's a similar, maybe even the same role as as Swift was. Crowded backfield for sure. We'll see how it plays out. But I'm not willing to go with Gibbs at number five. I, I would have gone with the guy that I'm sure Ryan's about to take at six. Yeah, I was already debating my sixth pick between uh, between Gibbs and the wide receiver too. So Matt Matt made it easy on me. I'll take uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba here. My wide receiver one, the wide receiver one in the NFL draft. And yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with Dan with what you said earlier, Dan. That I, I wish there was a clearer path to immediate production, but um, and, and you know maybe even wish for a more pass heavy offense. Uh, but I I do trust Seattle. I mean, we've 
continue to see them make correct decisions. I mean, it's even though we're we're having questions right now about about that backfield, um, the 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 Russell Wilson trade and so many of their uh, moves on defense that looked questionable at the time have really paid off. So uh, I'm I'm going to trust the uh, trust the process here and take JSN at 106. Yeah, I would too. I'd take him at five, and I mentioned that it, the same the same thing earlier. But uh, the talent's gonna the cream rises to the top, and he's gonna get himself on the field and make plays for that offense. It just just might be a little longer wait than maybe some of us wanted to to have with him. At seven, I'm gonna go with Jordan Addison, who I actually have at number six in my rankings. I'd take Addison over Gibbs as well. I love that landing spot in Minnesota, the clear number two receiver. Yeah, I know they have a pass-catching, big play tight end as well, certainly a guy that they're going to use in the red zone in Hawkinson. But I think Addison's a perfect complement to Jefferson up there for the Vikings. He'll uh, he'll run a lot of routes early in his career, uh, clear line to production early on. And like I said, him running underneath routes while Jefferson takes the safety uh, coverage away, that, that equals PPR catches for Jordan Addison. He's going to be... He's going to be a good one there for the Vikings, and it and it hurts me to say it. Next up, uh, Quinn Johnson. For all the reasons we talked about uh, before in the last segment, I just I don't know how you guys feel, but this feels like uh, a, a tear break right here at eight. Uh, you can throw the next guy in there if you want, but for me, these top eight guys are the clear top eight. Yeah, I I think so as well. There there is a tear break, but I would throw uh, the ninth guy into the group. I really we talked about him already. It's Zay Flowers. I'm sure that's who Ryan's going to go with. Um, I think the line comes at nine. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, Flowers is my guy here at nine. I do agree that the break is after Flowers. In fact, for me, it's after Johnston because I prefer Zay Flowers uh, to Quentin Johnston. Although it's it's definitely mm. close. Um, but yeah, after nine, then uh, then it becomes get your guy because it's kind of wide open. Yeah, it certainly is. In fact, I'm at number 10. I agree with you. I'd take Flowers over Johnston, but it's close. I like that tier of, of wide receivers that we get in the seven to nine range. These picks are pretty valuable with Addison, Johnston, and Zay Flowers there. At number 10, I got to go all the way down to the third round and the end of the third round at that with Devin A. Chain. We talked about him earlier. That's a nice landing spot, and that speed's going to translate perfectly to that offense. That's a, I think that's a value pick at 10, although I think there's a tier break. I don't mind picking him with the 10th pick. Yeah, that's a good one. I would have I would have taken him here at 11 if he was there, but I will go with uh, the tight end picked in the first round by the Buffalo Bills, Mr. Dalton Kincaid. The the back stuff is a little bit scary, but to me, like he's going to slot in almost right away uh, as the second option in that passing game. Uh, we have issues with Gabe Davis and his consistency. We, you know, Isaiah McKenzie's gone. All the other guys they've tried to throw in to the slot are are. are they're just not going to hold a candle to Kincaid. So it's a little bit scary, I guess, when you have uh, uh, Dalton, Dalton Knox there, Dawson Knox there as well. Um, but I just think, I think Kincaid's going to be better. We, we know that Dawson Knox is a good blocker. We know that Dalton Kincaid is a great athlete and a great pass catcher. So I think he's going to be involved right away uh, from the jump with, Balt- with uh, Buffalo. That's been a familiar one in the mocks that I've seen since the NFL draft. I've seen Kincaid go in the first round. So maybe I'm a little off. I got him a few spots lower, um, but still my tight end one for sure. Ryan, how's he ranked for you? 
Yeah, same. Uh, would not be a first rounder for me, but that does kind of seem, I don't want to use the word consensus because again, after, I think after that top nine, uh, it is very wide open, uh, but that does seem to yeah. be um, the norm is for Kincaid to go in that late first round range. So uh, that's, that's kind of in line with what I've seen. Uh, I do look forward to uh, the next two or three years of Matt screwing up Dalton and Dawson. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be fun when we're talking about <laughs> Buffalo tight ends. Uh, oh my gosh. You guys, uh, you guys set me up here. It's, it's perfect. I'm going to take Will Levis at the one twelve. Yeah. Um I mean, it was obviously tough to watch on, on Thursday night as he fell. And, uh, you know, as a, as a Levis fan, as a Kentucky fan, that's not what we imagined. And, I mean, even, you know, even Matt, who hates Will Levis for some reason, uh, wants to even kill him, I think he said. Um, <laughs> oh, man. You know, even Matt probably didn't expect him to fall to the second round. So that that was a surprise. And, and that, you know, kind of stinks, again, if, if you're a Levis supporter. But in the end, he, he gets the, the solid landing spot. I'm going to be set up to... Uh, you know, to at least earn the starting job in 2024, if they like what they see over the next calendar year. I've said from the beginning, I felt like Will Levis could use a year of grooming and and to play under a a veteran quarterback. And he's going to get that there in Tennessee. I like the landing spot. The, The draft capital isn't exactly what we wanted, but the truth is he will get that opportunity. It's high enough that we, he's still a top 50 50 pick as a quarterback. I would have taken him at the 201 if you hadn't have taken him right there at the 112. I have him still in my first round at 11 overall. So the first round's in the books. It goes Bijan, then Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, and CJ Stroud to round up the quarterbacks. Then we went Jameer Gibbs, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Jordan Addison, followed by Quentin Johnston, Zay Flowers, Devon A-Chain, Dalton Kincaid, and Will Levis. Let's try to shoot through this second round. I'm going to take Zach Charbonnet. At 13 overall, and I, I need to do an adjustment to my rankings because I was sitting here on the clock, and I have Marvin Mims over him in my rankings. But the truth is, if I'm if I'm picking right here, I think I'm going to stick with Charbonnet. And maybe it was what you guys said before that Seattle they make good decisions. They give the best player the ball, and there's a good chance that Charbonnet could outwork Walker and get those opportunities. They don't love to throw the football to running backs up there in Seattle. That gives me a little bit of pause, and maybe that's what pushed him down this far in my rankings. But I'm still excited about his ultimate upside. It just might take a little a little uh, teamwork up there in Seattle for a couple of years before we see him uh, get the full workload that we want. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, take the guy you were going to take, Marvin Mims here. Uh, just very excited about this landing spot in Denver. It's the first wide receiver handpicked by the new coach, Sean Payton. Um, but we, I think that Corden Sutton is probably on the, on the way out. Maybe not, maybe not necessarily this season, but he's going to work right in there and play that role that I, we, we all, we all hope that that KJ Handler was going to play at one point, the speed guy downfield, hopefully he remains much more healthy than KJ Handler having his career. So, uh, I could see him taking over the one, even if, uh, from Judy at some point as well. So love this pick here at the early second. Uh, yeah, at 2.03, um, I'm torn on a couple of running backs. And that was kind of the story of the past few weeks is that we wanted to see which running backs got the draft capital and got the landing spot. Uh, and now we know, so we can adjust, adjust those rankings. I'm still torn because two of them, uh, got, got 
solid, uh, solid options on both. I'll go with Kendra Miller here. Uh, the new saints running back. I believe he was the fourth running back off the board in the NFL draft, obvious questions in new Orleans, uh, with Alvin Kamara and his future seems like we're still expecting a, a suspension there. Uh, so Kendra Miller should get some early opportunity. Yeah, I like that pick. He fits into this tier for sure. I'm going to go with Michael Mayer. Las Vegas Raiders picked him in the se- early in the second round on day two. I like that landing spot for him outside of Devontae Adams. I don't see anybody that's going to command a lot of targets, and Mayer is the closest one to providing that with a little bit of time. So I'll, I'll stick with Mayer as a quality top 16-17 pick here at the 204. It is super flex, so I'll take go ahead and take Hendon Hooker here at the 205. We're going to have to wait a year, not just the injury, but Jared Goff has been, you know, played pretty well last year. So we'll see how that goes for this season. But I feel like he landed in just a great spot with a great offense, with a great team. And, uh, you know, I just I, I'm, I'm happy to have him sit for a second for a mid second round pick uh, and hopefully take over in 2024. Yeah, I said I was debating between two running backs. I end up getting them both. I'll take Roshan Johnson at the 206. Uh, Bears, new running back. Uh, honestly, the reason I was debating is because uh, Roshan has a clearer path to playing time. I know they uh, the Bears brought in Deontay Foreman. They have um, Khalil Herbert there as well. But I think there's a chance Roshan Johnson is, is simply better than either one of those guys. I like that. That's a good pick. I'll take Rashi Rice at the 207. Everybody knows I'm a Rashi guy, and I love that landing spot, landing with Kansas City. Of course, we all heard the story about him working with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, didn't really work out for CEH. Hopefully, it works out better for Rashi with the Chiefs. I'll go Sam Laporta, a guy who jumped from tight end five to tight end three for me. And it just comes down to what we talked about with the Green Bay situation with those two tight ends, you know, they cannibalizing each other. And then we saw uh, Darnell Washington just plummet and plummet and plummet. I think he was one of our favorites from this class. So Laporta jumped up, landed in a good spot with an open death chart at the position uh, and probably is the third option right right away. Uh, so Sam Laporta here at 208. Oh my gosh, Ryan, you just input your pick and I screwed up. I took Rashi Rice when I should have taken the guy you're about to take. Yeah, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the guy I talked about earlier. I'm going to take Josh Downs here and uh what very, an idiot. Very- <laughs> idiot. Man, he should have been the 207. So if you're keeping track and basing anything off this mock draft, uh Downs should have gone at 207 and I would have probably got uh Rashi Rice at 210 cuz everybody here hates him except for me. Um, I, I'm up at the 210 now, a little flustered, but I'll go with, let's go with Cedric Tillman. I have him one spot again above his college teammate. Uh, I, I don't necessarily love the landing spot there in Cleveland, but Cedric Tillman will be the pick at the 210. Yeah, I'll take the teammate. I take Hyatt. I'm not not excited about the player in general, but you can't argue with the the team he goes to, the United, New York Giants, and their their lack of weapons uh, in the receiving game. I would say uh, they signed a ton of slot receivers, which I guess Jalen Hyatt was a slot receiver, a, a deep slot in college. So we'll see how that all works out. But I think we project him to play more on the outside, and is clearly the fastest and the best deep threat on the team at this point. 
It was a weird weekend, a weird, uh, a weird day for Ty J Spears. He was the fifth running back off the board. Uh, got that day two draft capital, which we were all hoping for lands in a, a really nice spot with the Titans where, uh, he could be the heir apparent to Derrick Henry. Who's, uh, still rumored to be possibly, uh, traded or, or off that team in some form. And then comes the medical reports. This guy does not have an ACL. That's crazy. Uh, our, our, our injury guy at DLF, Jeff Mueller, uh, confirms uh, the, the common sense uh, idea that that's not a good thing for his, his long-term standing in the league, that we might be looking at a career of two, three, four years for Tajay Spears, which obviously is a negative thing, a, a bad thing for him and for us as dynasty managers. But the reality is all of these running backs, probably outside of Bijan Robinson, is probably looking at a career a relevant career of three or four years. So um, if there's a discount to be had on Spears, which I think there is in this mock draft, uh, I will be taking it. Man, I wish I could run and cut like that. I'm one with only one ACL <laughs> on one side. Yikes. Uh, second round's in the books. Let's quickly, 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 quickly shoot through round three. I'll take Jonathan Mingo and his draft capital and landing spot early playing time in Carolina at 301. I'm glad somebody else took him. I think Mango's a trap, uh, but uh, I'll take, take Bigsby. Goes to Jacksonville, obviously behind ETN, but ETN wasn't the ETN we know when James Robinson was still there and healthy. So maybe there's a way that Tank can carve out some kind of role and maybe force at least a, a 50-50 timeshare there with ETN. Can't believe you all let me get a Packer, but it's happening. I'll take Jaden Reed, drafted. Oh, I forgot! I'm so mad. Listen, I'm so mad. Listen, sometimes your league mates. We, we suck, Dan. What are we doing? What are we doing, Dan? <laughs> I did it right. I, I'll take Jonathan Mingo. I should have. I would have taken him at two eleven. I just completely forgot for some reason. Sometimes Jeez. your league mates screw up uh, in in real drafts and mock drafts. So, uh, Jaden Reed drafted much higher than expected. Going to walk into uh, the wide receiver two yeah. role in Green Bay. Freaking That's a good spot. Uh, certainly where he belongs. I have him right in this range. I'll take his new teammate. It's the guy Matt mentioned earlier, Luke Musgrave. Uh, I, I'm fine taking these tight ends in round oh, three. Yeah. Matt, who you got at 305? Yeah, I'll take my crush, Tank Dell. Uh, lands with a new quarterback, and uh, I think he locks up that slot job pretty quickly. Ryan? Yeah, I'll stick with my guy as well, even though uh... – even though we didn't like the landing spot or the draft capital, I'll take a, a Banacanda here. I'll stick with the running back position and take Cincinnati's new tailback, Chase Brown. I like the player. He's a little undersold and uh, could do good things there with the Bengals. I love that pick. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great pick, yep. Dan. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take Tyler Scott. Um, I don't know about him really in Chicago with Justin Fields, but you like the talent and they need wide receivers like nobody's business. So I uh, kind of, I feel like he's got a little bit redundant with what they already have there uh, in Darnell Mooney, but uh, we'll take the talent at this point. I, uh, I can't let Dan uh, double tap those Packers tight end. So I'll, I'll get a, I'll get one of them. I'll take Ducker craft here again and, and tight end premium to get uh to get these tight ends that were day two picks is a real value and and again just shows the depth of this tight end class not only a packer but a south dakota state jackrabbit oh that's sickening i'll uh i'll stick with the tight end 
position. Take Luke Schoonmaker. Lands with Dallas, gets some draft capital. That that doesn't seem too bad. He's a guy we didn't talk about a lot on the pod, but you're going to want to get familiarized with this guy. Yes, indeed. I'm going to take somebody who I absolutely don't like, but he, the landing spot is incredible with Zach Evans there. It seems like they do not like Cam Akers at all. And behind Cam Akers, we got Kyron Williams and and really nothing else. So it seems like the door could be wide open for Evans to take some work early on. And if Akers gets hurt or they just decide they're done with him, Evans walks into uh, a starting gig, really. Uh, so here at 311, that feels pretty good. Ryan can't believe, can't believe I got sniped uh, with the last pick. I was going Zach Evans as well. I'll trade you him for Jaden Reed. Uh, <laughs> no, no thanks. Those, that's a typical Matt Price offer. Uh, <laughs> oh, shots fired. Oh, hey, uh, I'll, I'll take a player who's kind of in a similar spot to Evans. The, the, the player that we thought could be a top three, top five pick in this rookie class once upon a time. Uh, I'll go with Kayshawn Booty here. Uh, don't love the landing spot from a, uh, you know, from an offensive standpoint uh, going to the Patriots. That's a team we kind of try to avoid. But, you know, if anybody can fix the issues that uh, Kayshawn Booty has had over the past couple of years, it's Bill Belichick. So I think we'll know pretty early. There's a chance Booty doesn't even make that roster if, if he continues to to screw around and have these issues. But if he makes the roster, I'm feeling pretty good about his future. There are potential gems in the fourth round. Guys like Darnell Washington, who we're excited about, but slipped in the draft. Michael Wilson got draft capital in Arizona. Other guys, uh, Charlie Jones and Puka Nakua with the Rams. He could walk into the wide receiver two job down there in Los Angeles. I like Stetson Bennett as a fourth round pick. Eric Gray mixes in there. He's a New York giant now. Sean Tucker went undrafted, but who knows? He could he could fall into a role there in Tampa Bay. Other guys include Dwayne McBride and Dontavian Wicks, one of the Packers picks. Trey Palmer with Tampa Bay, that's a nice landing spot. I like Parker Washington a little bit. If you're really desperate for quarterback help in the long term, Jake Hayner makes a little sense as well. So potential there in the fourth round even to find a, a gem down the road. We went into overtime. We got to get out of here. We appreciate all of you for listening. Uh, thanks for that. And for Matt and Ryan, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.